Hey, Becca. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Hey, it's going pretty good. Apparently better than the sound quality in this upcoming episode. Oh, God, I hate the sound quality in this episode so much. Me too. I mean, the quality is bad, but the content is good, so. Exactly. You know, honestly, we tried our best, but we were having some Wi-Fi and other issues. So please forgive us, but we promise the content is good. (laughs) We just want to thank everybody for joining us one more time. Absolutely. And without further ado, here's the episode. Hey, Becca. Hey, Adam. How's it going? Oh, you know, I'm super excited for today's podcast episode. Oh, yeah? What are we talking about today? Well, it's only taken us four episodes, but we're finally at the second half of our podcast name. Are we talking about polyamory today? We are talking about polyamory today. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay, let's get into it. Are you sure you want to? This topic can get a little complicated. I mean, all of our topics can get a little complicated, so we might as well go into it head first. That's true. Complication is kind of part of the fun sometimes, right? Absolutely. So, hey guys, uh, this is Adam and... And Becca. And welcome to the Neurodivergent Polyamorous Podcast. And today we're talking about polyamory, specifically different kinds of polyamory or ethical non-monogamy, should we say, because polyamory is technically one of many kinds, but we'll get into that a little bit too. I think maybe we should refer to it as um, ethical non-monogamy just because, like you said, polyamory is only one aspect of it and I think we're mostly going to be talking about how we're poly and the different kinds of polyamory that we have kind of experienced in our collective journey yeah that's fair okay um so did you want to start this one or should I oh I am absolutely letting you start on this but maybe we should talk a little bit about who we are in the poly community before polyam community we have been told by members of different um organizations that we should actually refer to ourselves as polyam and not poly absolutely Um, and i'm down we should kind of make that well known um but i think maybe a little bit of our backstory and who we are just before we kind of get into the different roles yeah that's a good idea and to go off of what becca said it is polyam as the preferred short form partially because poly can using poly can be uh can belong to a certain polynesian group or so i I believe or something like that and also yeah not to be confused with polysexual or other kinds of orientations like that so with with uh with that being said um, you're going to throw me under the bus and make me go first. Um, uh, my name's Adam, like I've said before. I practice what's called relationship anarchy and solo polyamory. And Becca, would you care to tell them a little bit about yourself too? Sure. So I clearly am Becca because we keep referring to me as such. And I have been kind of in and out of the world for before I knew what the word was for what I was. Um, I tend to stick to polyfidelity and I have definitely been a unicorn. That's always fun. And I note the sarcasm sign here. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I think being a unicorn is perfectly fine if that's what you want to be and everybody has that agreement. Um, But again, one of the things about ethical non-monogamy is that everything is about communication and being a unicorn is perfectly healthy and perfectly fine if it is communicated and discussed and that's what you want to be. But I believe that that is a different topic for a different episode. 
Absolutely. Although I like what you touched on about consent and communication being the key here, because so I have traditionally been what people have called a serial monogamist before I do polyamory and ethical non-monogamy were a thing. Because oftentimes I would find myself like, you know, genuinely like and love the people I'm dating, but feel trapped and looking for the next thing and wanting to connect with people and missing that, missing being able to connect to people even while I'm with someone. And so I've, my friends in university joked that I had a pattern of breaking up with people after three months or so because I just wasn't feeling it with them or whatnot. And I genuinely felt like a garbage human for this. I won't even lie. So when I started to learn more that there were other ways of doing relationships besides uh, monogamy and okay, first off, to, just to say, I always felt like I had to get with the program and just get over it and do it in order to have the life I wanted. So when I started to learn that, there were other ways to structure relationships. My mind was kind of blown. Well, and I think that goes kind of in our religious trauma because you were raised Catholic. I was raised fundamentalist. And you do get this whole sort of feel about how you're going to find one person or you already know them and you are going to be madly in love. You will be each other's everything. You'll get married. You'll have kids. And that's almost force fed to us in the media as well, that there is just one person for every person that's your soulmate that's your everything but yet we don't have the same kind of concept when it comes to friendships or family um, dynamics there's always multiple and yet we're force-fed this this kind of one-on-one when it comes to romantic or sexual relationships well exactly and you know what I find funny about that is when I've tried to explain ethical non-monogamy and polyam to people I've gotten the response of oh but it's not that's not the same thing when I mention how you don't just have one friend and my my thought to myself is well isn't it because I've always kind of seen a relationship with with a person as a almost a very close friendship but with someone that you love and you would sleep with you know what I mean? I mean, there's more to it than that. You can have romantic relationships that are not physical relationships and so on and so forth. There's a whole spectrum of this. But I, I've always kind of seen the line between a romance and a, and a friendship very blurred. And if, as far as I'm concerned, if you can have one friend, more than one friend, you can have more than one partner too, as long as everyone's consenting and communicating. Well, well that's sort of it. Like I'll kind of replay a bit of a story from my past where I had a friend, a very, very close friend who was so sure that you could only have one best friend. She was very, very possessive of me and our friendship. And she would get jealous whenever I had other friends that potentially had different interests than her that I had. Um, you know, she did not want to share me. And, and I wondered, like, how come you're not supposed to have more than one friend in this instance? Like, I personally don't have one best friend. I have multiple extremely close friendships. And I don't see why there should be a difference between platonic and romantic relationships in that kind of aspect. Like, why why should we be depending on one person to be our ever? Well, I, I, and plus, I just don't think it's possible for any one person to be anyone's everything. Like, I mean, think about it. There are friends that you can do certain things with but would never in a million years want to do other things uh, and that kind of thing, right? And vice versa. You know, you have different friends for different seasons, different friends for different occasions, different friends for different settings. You know, like the list goes on. 
So, and I think it's probably the same with the romantic relationships because you can love someone in one way and have a completely different kind of yet equally loving relationship with someone else with that fills a different need for you, right? Right, absolutely. And I think that's what's the most important with, um, with polyamory is that you do get the different aspects of these relationships. Now, so you're telling us that you are a solo poly or polyam, sorry, or a relationship anarchist. Yes. So what does that mean? Okay, so a um, couple of things on that. Uh, first off, I want to give it a backstory. Well, no, you know what? I'll just get right into it. Uh, solo polyamory and relationship anarchy are two different things that often go together. So, so uh, relationship anarchy at its core is just this idea that the only people who can decide on the rules of a relationship are the ones who are in the relationship. And taken to a, a further extent, it's also that we shouldn't be hierarchically ranking our social connections, you know, as rigidly as we do, you know, like your partner, your romantic partner doesn't automatically take precedence over a friendship and vice versa and all that stuff. And there should be no um, relationship hierarchy, hierarchy, I'm assuming as well. Absolutely. Like so, no, no romantic partner is more important than any other romantic partner, regardless of uh, living situation, nesting partner, that sort of thing. That's right. You can have different kinds of connections that you value in different ways, but strictly speaking, none of them are more important or less important than the others. That's right. Um, and what I like about this is that it puts the onus exactly where it belongs on the people who are involved in deciding what works for them through communication and consent and honesty and all this stuff which is a far cry from the way our society says it should be, where you have to follow this certain rules and follow this relationship escalator where you meet, you fall in love, you get married, you have kids, you buy the house, you, you know what I mean? Like, if that doesn't work for you, that doesn't work for you, and that's okay. It should be only up to the people involved deciding what the relationship should look like. That sounds pretty good to me. I mean, I've been... I, I, I'll be honest, when I first heard about this, it's because I went on a Tinder date with someone who was so, was polyamorous and uh, relationship anarchist. And when she told me what this was, in my brain, I was just like, for one, I've always been like that. And for two, isn't that the way relationships kind of should be? Like, why are we feeling pressured from peer pressure from dead people, you know, tradition? I think part of it again at least for people like us is because it is the way we were raised with the religious trauma well it wasn't trauma at well it was traumatic at the time but now it's just religious trauma yeah. uh, we were taught so much that this is how you do it this is how you have to do it this is how everybody does it yeah and you're being force fed this that it becomes your norm and anything that you do that you feel deviates from that is unacceptable so you try to fit yourself into this mold and it's just not working out well and I'll be honest being autistic and needing structure and rigidity and stuff I kind of fell into the trap for a long time of no everything has to be just so because this and that's partially being neurodivergent in the way that I am and that's also partially religious trauma so again figuring out that there are other ways to do these things was kind of mind-blowing but also going into the next thing with the uh, solo polyamory what solo polyam is essentially is it's it's hard to explain and people will often be like well doesn't that just make you single or what whatnot but it's kind of being I don't want to say single-ish but that's probably the best way to describe it for our listeners 
because you kind of like, autonomy and independence are key and huge and paramount for someone who is uh, solo polyamorous. Like you value your own independence and your autonomy and your control over your life. And you're, I, I've heard it described as being in a primary relationship with yourself primarily. And, you know, you live a single-ish life, but you have romantic connections and sexual connections and all these things with people as with some people that you started dating or seeing as well and it, it often doesn't follow the relationship escalator idea of you have to do this and this and this and this to be a valid relationship I think that's a really interesting concept and the way that you phrased it really intrigues me because I have often wondered what makes anyone believe that any kind of different relationship is not valid do you know what I'm saying? Where we're kind of taught that unless you ride the relationship escalator, then it isn't a valid relationship. However, some of the best relationships I have ever had are extremely short term yep. um, via like the romantic or sexual aspect. They're extremely short lived, but the friendships the and everything that grows from that has been far more impressive to me than some of the long-term relationships that I've been in. Well, and I think you and I are a case point example of that, to be honest. <laughs> I'm, you're going to call me out right here. Eh? I was trying to keep <laughs> that one quiet. Oh, But no, it is absolutely true that we were in a short-lived relationship. Uh, we talked about it because of my um, past recent past I was not in a place where I could be in a romantic relationship of any kind um it's been me kind of deconstructing uh what I thought was going to happen in my life and we chose to decouple or how is it you always put it I say we decoupled you say we um oh my gosh calling me out I'm having an ADHD moment I can't remember (laughs) (laughs) we uh restructured restructured that's what it is so we restructured our relationship and our friendship works out beautifully for us. It works perfectly for me. Our, our dynamic is exactly what I need in my life. And personally, I think it's better than having a romantic or sexual relationship at this point. Oh, absolutely. And you're not the only one I've had this kind of a connection with. I mean, this is, and this brings me to another rant. Are you saying I'm not special, Adam? You are very special, but I'm also polyamorous. (laughs) (laughs) But like also, I've had other relationships and other connections with people where like we've decided that we weren't going to date in the traditional way or or connect romantically or and that kind of thing. But we became amazing friends and close connections afterwards, sometimes even have had other forms of intimacy. But I mean it's just the line was grayed but in a beautiful way where it wasn't restricted to what society expected of a relationship you know what I mean well absolutely society puts so much I can't word today I am so sorry but society puts such a spotlight on romantic relationships like they have to be the be-all and end-all but what if you meet your soulmate and the soulmate isn't romantic or sexual what if it's someone that you're supposed to do a podcast with what if it's someone you're supposed to go into business with? What if it's someone that you're just supposed to be best friends with that become like family to you? We put such a onus on being romantically linked to these soulmates. But, you know, they always say like, that person was my missing piece. 
well, what if you have a lot of missing pieces and collectively all of these people that you know and love and care for extremely deeply help to make you the full and whole image of who you are? Exactly. And I've certainly started to find that once I kind of in my own brain process and decoupled my life from those expectations, I started to find that, you know, they say in your thirties, you're supposed to kind of start building your family and, and that kind of thing. Well, I found that I've started doing that just in a very different way and with the people that I love dearly and that kind of thing. And it brings me to another thing. We tend to think that just because a relationship ends means it was unsuccessful because we think of relationship success as being going the long haul, getting married till death do us part, all of that stuff. But I've had many successful relationships that were, sh- that were short-lived or didn't last forever that became beautiful friendships, like you said. And I think some of my closest people, some of the people I consider my, fa- my chosen family in this world, that is the case with. So how can I call that a non-successful relationship? which further ties up the whole relationship anarchy and stuff thing, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I will um, kind of point out that two of the closest friends that I've ever had in my life started from a period of we were friends and then we, uh, we were all together for a period of time when I was young. So before we had a word for polyam, like I'm sure the word existed, but we were from a small town. We had never heard it. Right. So everyone just kind of referred to it as my slut phase because I was romantically and sexually linked with two people. We were a triad or a thruple, however you want to quantify it. Um, It was an extremely successful relationship. And the only reason we split up is because we were very young. I see very young. We started dating when I was like 15, 16. We dated until I was about 18. And then I moved away. Mm -hmm. I was 18. None of us drove. Um, so we amicably decided that it was our time to part and they to this day are my very, very closest friends in the entire world. I, I couldn't dream of living without them. They are a huge part of my life and my social circle. And, you know, society kind of says that once you split up, you're all supposed to hate each other. I can't imagine hating them. I can't imagine us not being as tight as we are. Well, and I've actually found that like, contrary to what society says, I've always found that I've tended to still love and care for most of the people I've broken up with and been able to maintain friendship with most of them, unless you've done something very specific to violate that trust, but that goes beyond just, oh, we're exes, therefore by default, I have to hate you. No, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, unless you do something to to purposely or unpurposely, not on purpose, but still violate my trust, then we're probably going to be fine after a period of time. Um, absolutely. I think if you've loved someone and cared for them for a significant amount of time, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to let that go. And I think once maybe some of the wounds are healed from the restructuring of the relationship, that a friendship, if people want to put the effort in, is completely valid it's worthy and it's not as hard as people think it is depending of course that being said how the relationship came to a close well this again or that aspect of the relationship came to a close well because again this ties into relationship anarchy and stuff it all depends on the specifics of the individual relationship right like there's no social prescription of oh you dated therefore you shouldn't like each other it depends on the people absolutely so i talked a lot about relationship anarchy there but uh 
Solo polyamory is, I want to touch a little bit on what drew me to solo polyamory, if that's okay. Perfect. Okay. So I have, I don't want to get into specifics, but I'm going to say I've had a couple, I've had at least one difficult relationship in the last like 10 years or so. And after said, it wasn't me. No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it was not. And in fairness, said person and I are actually friends now and we're on good terms. It's just, it was a difficult situation. And it led me to like, I, I kind of submerged a lot of my own needs and wants and my own desires and my own life to placate my, my partner at the time, because fun fact, I am a people pleaser. And a lot of times what I would do is push aside what I wanted and what I needed to placate my partner. And I've done this in many relationships. It's a, it's a, it's a self-destructive thing I've started to realize about myself. So in the abs- in the aftermath of that relationship, I kind of unpacked a lot of that about myself and started to question, okay, yeah, there were things that were squarely problems with the relationship, but is there anything I can change about the way I'm doing things to make my life more in tune with myself and my own needs? And that's where I came to uh, ethical non-monogamy in general, but also specifically solo, solo polyamory, because it emphasizes not losing yourself in the process of a relationship. And I think that it's important to be fully actualized people coming together when you connect with other people, because you shouldn't need the other person to complete you. You should want them to be a part of your life, right? Yeah, I mean, I one of the things that I've always said is that I think it is more important to want someone in your life than to need them. Oh, absolutely. If you need someone, that's a codependency. Yes. But if you want someone, that, that's completely different. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's kind of, I would rather want someone to be part of my life and share connection with them in, like, in a special way that's just they, they and I, than feel like, A, and we have to conform to certain expectations from society, but also be that we need each other to have the life that we want. I, I don't want that. I want to know that someone wants me. And I also want to know that they respect me being me, <laughs> you know, and don't try to change me either. That's, that's another thing. Or push me down and make it all about the other person. Like I want to maintain who I am in a relationship too. So long and the short, that's kind of what drew me to solo polyamory. That sounds like a very interesting journey. And I am glad, you know, that you are who you are and you have found what makes you happy. I try. <laughs> Some days are better than others, but I try. <laughs> so how about you? How about your journey and where you're at with things? Okay, well, um, so I mentioned earlier that I did start my polyamory journey when I was about, oh, I'm going to say 16. Um, I started dating uh, two very good friends of mine. Uh, originally, I actually just started dating the female friend, and um, <laughs> she was also dating the male friend. And at one point, maybe a few days after she and I had started dating, somebody made the joke like, oh, does that also make him your boyfriend? And we kind of laughed it off, and then we were like, hey, Red, um, <laughs> that's what we're going to call him. Um, hey, Red does what what do you what do you think and he's like I mean why not 
So we ended up in, like I said, a very successful poly relationship or poly am relationship. I, I really need to get better about that. I apologize um, for about two years, but we didn't really have a word for it. So like I said, a lot of people just kind of chalked it up to good old slut phase and we moved along. Um, after that, I kind of stuck to monogamous relationships. Um, I was in a long-term mono relationship for almost 10 years. Um, we opened that relationship up at one point and ended up with other partners and um, that relationship eroded. However, I stayed with the other partners. Um, so I have always practiced any, any poly that I have practiced has always been poly fidelity. So what polyfidelity is for those people who don't know is it is essentially monogamy with extra players. <laughs> a four-player so, game instead of a two-player game, but the rules are basically... Yes, exactly. The rules are essentially exactly the same. Um, you date within the polycule. So whereas other polycules for like relationship anarchy, solo poly, whatever, kind of branch out um, a little more like a map. Um, so our polycule was closed. Whoever the individuals were that we were with is who we were with. We did not date. No one had outside partners. No one was a hinge or a V or a point. We were simply together in one big relationship. And that was how it was. And you know what, like, there's something to be said about that too, if everyone's consenting and communicating and, you know, being open and that kind of thing, because, if that's what people want out of a relationship, power to you. But some people, that's exactly what they want. Where exactly. it is, it is what I wanted. I'll, I'll, I'll say that like, you know, I say that like, oh, other people. No, I was happy in my polyfidelitous relationships where it was just us. And I was happy with that. Yeah. No shame to people who practice poly in a different way. I just... Um, I'm not a planning queen, so <laughs> that was always my joke that I couldn't do relationship anarchy or solo poly because I'm Google Maps and I or Google calendars and I are not friends. Can, um, I, pause you there for, can I pause you there for a sec to make a joke? Because honestly, I feel like when I say that I'm solo polyamorous and relationship anarchist, people are like, you must be such an extrovert and have so many spoons. I do not. I am an introvert. I have a very limited spoon count. Sometimes solo polyam to me looks like me see I'm dating two or three other people sometimes it looks like me just spending time in my on my own in my apartment because the world sucks I think it's also important to know when you're polysaturated as well oh I love that term yeah exactly just because you can date like 50 people doesn't mean that you you should or that you have the the spoons to date 50 people and give them all of the attention and everything else that you guys have discussed. Yeah. I think knowing when you're polysaturated is, is, is very important. Well, and to be honest, I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's something that uh, polyfidelity does kind of address in a way, right? Because, you know, there's no limit to the amount of people that are in the polyfidelitous uh, polycule. It's just that you've all kind of agreed within yourselves that this is all any of you really want. So you don't want to add new, new players to the game because you're polysaturated. Uh, yeah, I kind of always made the joke that it was like, you know, you're, you're creating a D&D &D game 
Yeah. And when you're at your max players, the max players and max players can be different for everybody. You can have a three person polyscule, you can have a 25 person polyscule, 25 would be, oh, that'd be a big one. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Is, um, Is that it is really kind of up to, it's at user discretion, essentially. Not that I'm calling anyone who does polyam a user, but the you get what I'm saying. Oh, well, going off of the video game and computer analogy we've been using for this, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. just don't want to get myself in any trouble over here. No, um, you're fine, you're fine. So I have a question for you, Adam, that I think goes along this topic. Oh, I didn't do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that you are born polyamorous or do you think that you choose polyamorous? Ooh, interesting question. I like it. Um, I think it can be either or depending on the person. I think there are people for whom they just, they, they choose to try it out and discover they like it, but could very easily also do monogamy and be happy no matter what. And then I think there are people who are born that way and wired that way, just like there are people who are born in the LGBTQ community, there are people who are born neurodivergent, you know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes it is it is natural brain wiring. For me, I would say it's natural brain wiring because I've tried doing monogamy most of my life because I didn't know poly was an option. And let me tell you, it wasn't always, it wasn't fun. I always felt like there was a part of me deep down that was broken and not working right until I started doing polyamory. Well, and I tend to actually agree with your synopsis of it. Um, I think that we are born with it. And I think that you make a choice. Uh, so I think if anyone was listening very closely to our first episode, you would have heard me say, I am a burnt out polyamory. So what that means to me and why I say that is, I'm going to get a little bit vulnerable here for a moment and say that um, I don't feel like polyamory failed me. I feel like I failed polyamory, if that makes any sense. Um, And because of things that have happened in my last couple of polyamorous relationships, I don't feel like I will be following the polyamorous lifestyle. However, I am a huge advocate for it. I think it is wonderful. And I think that it is, a beautiful relationship style that being said I know who I am and I know what my traumas and triggers are and I don't want to kind of bring my own toxicity or force my trauma on anyone else which is why I'm taking a step back which is why that I have said that I am a burnt out problem. and it's interesting you say that because I'm actually the opposite but the same way because I know like I know my own traumas and I know my own issues and I know my own brain wiring when it comes to monogamy. And I know that that's not a thing that I can do easily. So I don't want to put that burden on other people by getting into a relationship with a monogamous person that I happen to really like when I know that that's not what my brain can do. It's not fair to them and it's not fair to me. Just like in your case, it wouldn't be fair to you or anyone else either. Well, I think knowing that about ourselves and knowing what our truths are, are very important. Whether we are following the polyamorous lifestyle or the monogamous lifestyle, because no matter what your dating style is, if you don't know who you are, you have such a huge potential to hurt other people. 
because, yes. and I've said this to you before, and I will say it again, hurt people hurt people. Yes, absolutely. And I like to think of myself as a cycle breaker, or at least I attempt to break a lot of cycles. And I don't want to continue hurting anybody. Um, but like I said, I have the biggest amount of love and respect for the polyamorous way of life. And I feel like my friendship style is very polyamorous because I'm very affectionate with all of my friends. I'm, you know, I don't put anybody ahead of anybody else. And also you, I know you, I know you well enough to know this. You will totally cuddle a friend. You will totally, you know, because like, there's no reason to say that that has to be reserved for romantic partners, whatever, which in itself is a very relationship anarchisty way to do it. And also kind of a, a very non-hierarchical polyamorous way to do it too. I mean, I believe so. So I don't know if it's weird to put a neurodivergent polyamorous podcast and I am a burnt out polyamorous. No. But I think it's good for other people who maybe have had the same kind of thoughts or at the same kind of journey in their life that, hey man, you're not alone. I have been in and out of the poly lifestyle for, I really don't want to age myself, but <laughs> a long time. And I just, who knows? I don't know if I'll go back to it. I don't know if I will be monogamous. I don't know if I will stay single the rest of my life and just be a crazy cat lady. But I think it's important for everyone to know that there are people like you out there somewhere. First, first of all, cats are fur babies and fur babies are family. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I completely agree. And I actually find it interesting. And one of the reasons I'm glad we're doing this podcast together is because of our different experiences when it comes to that, because I grew up in a very Catholic and more conservative household when it comes to this stuff and found my way to this in my 30s, in my late 20s, early 30s. You've been doing it most of your life and, and, have, said, and have learned some of the pitfalls. And I think it brings an interesting perspective having us talk about this back and forth. So I don't think it's weird at all for you to bring that up in a neurodivergent polyamorous podcast because we're both being very pro, very loving towards uh, the polyam community and, and to our and lifestyle and all that stuff. And we're not saying monogamy or polyamory are better or any combination of the two different strokes for different folks. And as you said, knowing yourself and knowing what you can handle and what you want out of life and what you, the way you work is essential to, to having a happy life. I, I think so. You know, I think it's important, like I said, to know yourself. Yeah. And know exactly what you want, because if you don't, then you are dragging people along. Well, and, and hurting them. And going off that, because it's something I've struggled with as well, um, it's very much okay if what works for you and you're normal and you're happy and you're healthy is not what your parents would have expected for you or wanted for you, not what society would have expected for you or wanted for you or anything else. At the end of the day, you could live your life trying to make them happy and be completely miserable, or you could do do you, like, do you do you, boo, <laughs> and, be, oh, and be happy. I make do I have a second to make my favorite analogy towards that? I love analogies. You certainly do. Um, we definitely have, I, I want to say maybe 15, 10, 15 more minutes tops. Go nuts. Well, this is a very short analogy. Cool. It's not a story. It's just an analogy. So one of the things that I have learned in life is that you can be the perfect cup of tea. Just the absolute perfect cup of tea. And there is always someone out there 
who does not like tea. Yep. So, you know, for your parents or whatever, whoever's expectations of you to do this and to do, and to do that, you can try so hard to be what they want. But if you are a cup of tea, you can't be a cup of coffee. That's right. And if you're around people who just inherently prefer coffee, well, that's okay because there are a lot of tea lovers out there who are going to love you for who you are. After all, some people are Catherine Janeway and order coffee black, and others are Jean-Luc Picard and order tea, Earl Grey, hot. Oh, of course, the Star Trek reference must make an appearance, but I will forgive it because you know I love me some Sir Patrick Stewart and a good cup of Earl Grey tea. Well, I mean, who doesn't on both counts, right? Right. And with that, that's my one Star Trek joke for this episode, but I digress. I have to remind myself of that sometimes, but thank you for that. That was awesome. I have to remind you of that. I have to remind you of it too. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> but then, so I feel like we've gotten off topic. We usually do. Um, this is the neurodivergent polyamorous we're talking about here, right? <laughs> Certain amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I wanted to put out to everybody is if you have questions about neurodivergency, polyamory, life in general, please reach out to us. We do have an email account, which is neurodivergentpolyamorous at gmail.com. And we will answer your questions. We also have a TikTok, which is Neuro Polyam Podcast. There is exactly one video. <laughs> you know, if you want to talk to us, give us ideas of what you'd like to hear when you're talking, when we're talking, we'd be really happy to hear from you. Yeah, we've actually had a couple people um, in real life and otherwise who have reached out and said, hey, you should do this, or hey, we'd like you, uh, you'd be really interested to do this and that kind of thing. And we love those kind of things because it gives us ideas. It helps you guys feel engaged. It's just, it's just beautiful. Please do. It helps fight the executive dysfunction as well. <laughs> yes, it does. Because if we see people love what we're doing, it gives us more spoons to keep doing it. So, you know, it's in your own best interest, if you like this podcast, to pay us with spoons and, and executive functioning points. So, Adam, do you have any questions, comments, concerns? Because we have a few more minutes on this podcast. Um, you know what? Hmm. God, catch me with my pants. I'm not literally, I am fully clothed in real life, but God caught me with my you know, metaphorical pants down with that. Um, <laughs> you do it to me all the time. Turn about God, the God, this is as bad as that time when I was in teacher's college and I underplanned for the amount of time I had and ended up having to make something up on the fly. And my host teacher just looked at me with this disapproving look of you have failed this uh, classroom. And I just shrank because neurodiversity is fun. <laughs> but no, um, actually, I will take this moment to uh, say that, like, you know, thank you for everyone who has been following us so far and has really been enjoying the podcast. We really have loved the interactions we've been getting and we're looking forward to building that base. Um, Next week's episode, we're thinking of doing something related to rejection sensitivity, which should be a lot of fun too, and how it relates to relationships and ourselves. And yeah, that'll be fun. But um, I think that's, I'm, I'm good to call it here if you are. Um, I just want to add how much we appreciate everyone who takes the time out of their day, their week to listen to us ramble on. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think I, I'm going to kind of call both of us out here is I can't, I can't tell you how often Adam and I are chatting and just amazed that we have any listeners at all. Um, and that it wasn't just the one friend that we thought would be kind of supporting us in the background. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm playing it. Good for you guys. <laughs> so we are so appreciative of everybody who takes the minutes to listen to us, to give us feedback. We love all of you. and actually on that note one more thing before we go um so i started advocating for neurodiversity back i mean 2012 was when i started my blog differently wired but i started the facebook page differently wired in 2015 and it's taken me about seven years to get that to about 600 700 followers in the span of a year people have taken neurodivergent polyamorous on facebook from one follower to 700 and some and that was before we had a podcast so yes i echo becca on this thank you you guys are amazing we love you we really super appreciate it and we hope you continue to tune in absolutely we again i'm just i am in awe that people are listening to us people that like we, we did expect you know our friends are very supportive our core circle is amazing so we expected like maybe one or two but we look at our analytics and we have people that are listening to us in like Australia. Yeah. So hi. <laughs> yeah. If you're um, in the down under or in the United Kingdom, which is where we've seemingly had some breakthrough in listening. Thank you. <laughs> we really appreciate you. And yeah. So again, thank you from the bottom of our heart. Thank you so much. And with that, we'll see you on the flip side, guys. Special thanks goes to Paul Unger, who helped design the rainbow infinity symbol with the two brains component of our logo, which we love very much. Thanks, Paul. The Neurodivergent Polyamorist was produced by Rebecca Kelterborn and Adam Mardero. Copyright 2022.